Would you pray with me now? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like the Gospel of John, from which we've heard the last couple Sundays, Luke's resurrection narrative is a new creation scene. See, John drew our attention to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 depicts the divine act of creation as a seven-day week, culminating in the Sabbath rest of its creator. John 20 tells us that Jesus rested in the tomb on the seventh day of Holy Week. Then Jesus rose from that tomb on the first day of the week, i.e. the eighth day, i.e. Easter is the start of a new creation. Genesis chapter 2 depicts the divine act of creation as a kind of pottery class. God forms the first human being from the dust and the dirt of the earth, and then that climactic moment where he breathes the breath of life into them, and Genesis 2 tells us they become living creatures. John chapter 20 tells us that the risen Lord Jesus appeared to his disciples, and he breathed on them, it says, saying, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, John wants us to see that Easter marks the birth of a new humanity, of creatures that have come alive anew by the living breath of the living God. Luke makes a similar point in his gospel this week, but he draws us to the imagery of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 describes that tragic moment when Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we are told in Genesis 3, 7, their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. In other words, shame entered into the human psyche for the first time. Luke chapter 24 tells us that two human beings were also eating a meal and they too were confronted with a new and surprising knowledge. We are told their eyes were opened to recognize Jesus. In other words, Luke is intentionally pulling the same language from Genesis chapter 3 in order to tell us that Easter marks the reversal of the fall. In his some 800-page tome on the resurrection, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this. He says, Luke is saying that this is the ultimate redemption moment. This is the meal which signifies that the long exile of the human race is finally over at last. This is the beginning of the new creation. Also like the Gospel of John, Luke is very clear that this long-awaited new creation is not some ethereal, vague, ghostly reality. Rather, it's, it's, it's totally concrete and personal. The new creation has a human face and, a, and, a, and is a human body and, and speaks with a human voice. And no doubt, the resurrection is a reality that's altogether beyond our rational and imaginative comprehension. And yet, we seem to see in Luke 24 that it is experienced in the detailed particularities and circumstances and stories of ordinary human life. In John, the risen Lord meets Mary in her grief, the disciples in their fear, Thomas in his doubt. And now in Luke, the risen Lord meets two travelers in their sadness and in their confusion. 
And I find this comforting right now <laughs> because what else are we experiencing in the present circumstances other than sadness and grief over what's going on and confusion in some sense about how we're supposed to navigate it and about what the days ahead will look like. And in the midst of that, Jesus draws near to these travelers. He draws near to us in the midst of our journeys. The travelers, note, are neither in Jerusalem nor in Emmaus, but they are in the space in between. They're neither at the beginning point of their journey nor at the end, but on the way. And it seems to me that this is a point why worth pausing over just a moment. My wife, Susie, has been helping me reflect in recent weeks on the idea of in-between spaces in our life. I think for us, this is really personal. It's just something that has arisen out of our own experience of transition over the last year, of moving from Scotland to Southern California, from cold to hot, from one community to another. What does it look like to live in the in-between spaces? But I suspect that this isn't something that's just our own personal experience. It probably resonates with a lot of people's experiences right now in this kind of pandemic experience. In-between spaces are spaces that often come with transition, whether they're expected or not or wanted or not. And it can come with a whole host of feelings, the feelings of anxiety and grief and loss and confusion. Like, what, what does it look like? to be in this in-between space where we're, we're kind of waiting for something to come, but it's not quite here yet. Because waiting's just uncomfortable. I don't know about you guys, it seems like you're a community that's been introduced to the Enneagram far before I have, but Susie and I are just being introduced to this sort of thing. And I suspect that in-between spaces are really difficult for those of you that are achievers. And I suspect there's lots of you that are achievers in our church. Those of us who like to feel as if we're progressing and developing and producing are probably having a tough time inhabiting the in-between space right now. We look forward to that when, the season when the waiting is over and when a new season arrives that's full of purpose and peace and forward momentum because we simply don't like being in in-between spaces. And yet that's precisely where we so often find ourselves. And it strikes me as really interesting that in the biblical narrative, so much of the history of God's people is about God meeting them in the in-between spaces. Think about their journey in the desert. You think about their exile. You think about their longing for, for the redemption of the Messiah. So Susie and I have found ourselves asking, what does it look like to claim? Notice that. What does it look like to claim the in-between spaces of life as good and fruitful despite their challenges? And how can we be attentive to the sometimes subtle and hard to recognize and mysterious presence of Lord Jesus with us and what it is that he wants to teach us in that uncomfortable place? Because Jesus draws near to his disciples in the in-between spaces. So I encourage you, just take a moment to pause and consider, what are those spaces for you now? Where is Jesus drawing near that may be hard to recognize? How is it that he wants to be your companion and your teacher in the way? 
see for us in between spaces are things to get past as quickly as possible. But, but, but Jesus draws nearer to us in them because I think he sees in them an opportunity to engage us in holy conversation. Notice how the travelers are sad and confused. They're reeling from the weeks of Holy Week. They've banked everything on this Jesus, and it now seems that everything has come to nothing. It feels as if their hope was a false hope, as if their dreams are broken dreams, and so they're just going to go back home, forget it. And yet Jesus draws near to them. He becomes their companion in the way and their host. He sees an opportunity here. And Jesus takes the opportunity to open scripture to them and to break bread with them. And this is really striking to me because it seems that in the midst of all their sadness and confusion, there's lots of things that Jesus could have done. But Jesus does two fairly ordinary things. He talks to them about the scriptures and he sits down to share a meal with them. Jesus, we've seen cast out demons. Jesus, we've seen heal people. Jesus, we've seen call people out of the tomb. And yet here, the risen and the risen and powerful and almighty Lord comes to his people in their sadness and their confusion. And he just tells them about the scriptures. And he shares a meal with them. And it's for this reason that I think the two things that form the heartbeat of the Christian life and Christian community and Christian worship over the years is scripture and Eucharist, is word and sacrament, is hearing Christ and being nourished by him. And I point this out because it seems to me that Luke is intentionally telling this resurrection story so as to draw our attention not only to the foundational event of the new creation, i.e. resurrection, but also to lay out for his followers the framework for how it is that the risen Lord is now choosing to reveal himself to his disciples and to his church for the days to come. It is through Jesus-soaked and Jesus-saturated reading and teaching of Holy Scripture and through Eucharistic fellowship and friendship around the table. And it's no surprise that when we get to Acts chapter 2, which is kind of narrating the birth of the church post-Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues, what are we told that the church does when they are converted to the Lord Jesus Christ? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. It's almost too simple. <laughs> it's almost too simple. And yet, I think a simple word is a timely word for us in this moment. I've spent a lot of time this week wondering how in the world this passage speaks to a people who are in the midst of a pandemic. And I struggled with that question. And one of the things that I realized is that in the midst of a pandemic and quarantine, a lot of questions are raised for us about our lives. And for us as a church, a lot of questions for us raised about what does it mean to be the church in this time? And who are we and, and how are we going to survive this? Uh, the survival question is probably the biggest one on people's minds. But I wonder if Jesus is also inviting us into not only survival question, but formational and missional questions as well. Like, who are we going to be on the other side of it? Who are we becoming in the midst of this? 
And then the missional question, what are we going to be at? What are we going to be about in the midst of this? And what are we going to be about on the other side of this? In other words, what will the heartbeat of our life together is Holy Trinity Church in Orange County in 2020 be? What will our heartbeat be as the people of God in the days to come? Many of the Christian leaders that I've been reading have been suggesting that this pandemic is going to change everything about the church, that it cannot possibly be the same after this. And in some respects, I, I agree. This is going to mark us in some unique ways. And I think we should be praying in this time. Like, how is it that God wants to use this moment to awaken in us something new, to reform his church in ways that we desperately need reforming, to shape us in ways that he really wants to shape us? But I also think that whatever answer we give to these questions has to have at its core the dynamics of Luke 24. That according to Luke 24, Jesus wants to shape us into a people of burning hearts and broken bread. Of burning hearts and broken bread. Verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. I once heard someone remark that he thought the primary cause of burnout amongst Christian pastors or professionals or caregivers who are under particular stress in this season was not overwork, although that's significant, but was rather the inability to cultivate or to tend to the inner flame. One of the things that I love about Holy Trinity is Holy Trinity cares about the inward journey. And so we have to ask, what is it in this season that ignites and cultivates the inner fire of the heart? What's going to sustain us? What's going to foster and invigorate our souls? Henri Nouwen once said, silence is the discipline by which the inner fire of God is tended and kept. To which I say, amen. But it's only half the truth. <laughs> the inner fire it is not just a matter of silence, although we really need silence. But it's also a matter of speech. Whose voice do we hear in the silence? Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. According to Luke 24, the inner fire of God that we so desperately need in order to navigate this pandemic with wisdom and with grace and with patience and with endurance and with long suffering and with vision and with vigor and with mission. Inner fire is tended and kept as Jesus opens up to us, reads to us, helps us to see in the Holy Scriptures the things concerning himself. In a children's book that my daughter loves to read, it says that every story of the Bible whispers that great story of the son who enters into the story and is the climax of the story. Every page whispers his name. That's why our forefathers and our foremothers called the scriptures the Viva Vox Dei, 
the living voice of God. It's as if Christ himself comes to us through these words and teaches us about the things concerning himself. It's a dynamic and personal and engaging encounter with the living Lord. It's not just an archaeological dig. It is to hear God speak. And that's why Martin Luther once said, the Bible is alive, speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. And that's why the great John Stott once said, the Bible isn't about people trying to discover God. It's about God reaching out to find us. And that's why Anglicans and we as a church are so intent upon having so much scripture read in the service and all parts of scripture. It's not just a mere preamble to the sermon. It's not a preamble to the sermon. It is the living voice of the living Christ in our midst. Jesus is not distant and Jesus is not mute. When his people gather together for worship, he says, I am there in their midst. And when his people open up the words of God and say, thus saith the word of the Lord, it is Christ speaking in their midst. Eloquence of the risen Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking afresh the words of Holy Scripture into the particularities of our time and our space and our circumstances, so that the people of God may burn with that inner flame of life and love again. It's always struck me how true and poignant the words of Psalm 19 are. The words of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things that God wants to do in us in this season, and I don't know the half of them. I don't know what we're going to completely look like, how we're going to be formed as a people in this time. And, and when we come out of it, exactly what all that's going to look like. But one thing I do know is that when we gather around Holy Scripture, we gather around the living voice of the living Christ. And it is in that gathering that he causes the inner flame of our hearts to burn and to revive, and to flare up. And that is precisely what we so desperately need. We need burning hearts, but we also need broken bread, Luke 24 tells us. I find it really interesting that Luke says we don't, tells us that scripture alone, even when exposited and preached by Jesus, was not enough. More was needed. A meal was needed. Eucharistic fellowship and encounter was needed. And this is one of the things that I've grown to love about Holy Trinity is that when Holy Trinity does food, they do food. <laughs> there's, there's no halvesies. There's quality and there is surplus and there is abundance. And there is just a joy about when people gather around the table together. And that is good. That reflects the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be about. Verses 30 and 31, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread. 
Notice how this language evokes, reminds us, resonates with the language of the Last Supper. He took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. We're told that Jesus made himself known in the breaking of bread. I don't know about you, but this is one of the hardest parts about being in quarantine for me is that I have not been able to be face to face with you and gather around the table and receive the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ together. And for me as a pastor, because I sit up on the front left side, kind of by myself normally in the services, I get this front row seat on watching every one of your faces walk up together to receive the body and the blood. And that is my favorite part of the whole service. To see how it is that Christ is present in our midst, uniting us to himself, nourishing us with his life, and then bringing us together and the joy that exudes as we do that. Oh, how I long for the day when we can do that again. I think one of the things that I've been praying for as I've been missing this so much is that God would, in a sense, foster in us in a weird sort of way, in the absence of that physical embodied gathering around the table, he would foster in us a gratitude for the fellowship that we have with one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote in his book, Life Together, which he was writing during the rise of the Third Reich. He said, Christian fellowship is a gift from God. It is a something that at any moment, under circumstances outside of our control, can be taken away from us. And so when we have it, we ought to thank God for it. And I wonder if in this season of not being able to experience the fully orbed and fully embodied psychosomatic presence of fellowship that we're supposed to have, that God intends for us, I wonder if he wants to cultivate in us just a, a new awareness and, and an understanding of the depths of the gift that it is to be able to gather with one another and encourage one another and be a part of each other's lives. In the Book of Common Prayer, there are a set of family prayers for morning and midday and evening, and, and I really like these prayers. And for the evening prayers for the family, there's a prayer that is actually designed for families to pray together that's based on the passage of Luke 24, the road to the Emmaus. And so as you go about your week, I, I actually want to commend this to you. If you have the most recent book of common prayer, it's on page 72. And let this prayer be your companion for you and your family in the days ahead. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, stay with us. Stay with us in our home. For evening is at hand and the day is past. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts. Awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in scripture and in the breaking of bread. And grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I look forward to being with you again, hopefully sometime soon. Until then, I speak these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.